And then I went on to talk about the inner critic. And he said, Georgia, the amygdala is the inner critic. Oh my goodness, is that kind of another way of talking about it? And the inner critic is a personality trait that we all have. It's a, it's, they call it the reptilian part of the brain, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And when we did live in caves and there were bears around the corner, it might have been you know, helpful. But now it plays games with us. Hello, this is Dr. Diva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I have a special guest that's coming to us from Sydney, and we are actually 15 or 16 hours uh, behind, if I'm not mistaken. Georgia Foster is here with us, and we're going to have a discussion of hypnotherapy and alcoholic beverages and drinking. It's entirely possible to drink less by tapping into the power of the brain to change habitual behavior in just seven days. Therapists typically offer an all or nothing solution when someone identifies a problem with the amount they drink. Clinical hypnotherapist Georgia Foster is a leading specialist in behavioral drinking. Her recent book and online programs offer an alternative for anyone who wants to learn how to drink less without giving up completely. Georgia has helped thousands of clients take control of their drinking, increase their self-esteem, and improve their relationships with family, friends, and coworkers, all without the need to stop drinking. Georgia's programs include non-judgmental and reassuring practical advice, positive and effective meditations, and short hypnosis recordings, exercises, and assignments to increase communication and resources for those who are still struggling with alcohol consumption. 95% of workshop participants reported a moderate to significant reduction in their alcohol intake based on survey returns. Welcome, Georgia. It's great to have you here. And correct me if I had the, the time change. Was, was it 16 hours, 17 hours? Are you ahead of us? Uh, well, it's just after seven in the morning here. So yeah, I think so. I, I think you may have gone into daylight savings. 15. You? Yeah. So it's 15 hours. Yeah. So yeah. This just changed on the weekend. So I was a bit confused with, yeah, I know it's crazy that Australia is almost a day ahead. 
I know, right? <laughs> I always say you should, I should give people the lottery ticket, should I? <laughs> <America>. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> you have a, a very interesting profession. And the hypnotherapist, I actually interviewed someone who did hypnotherapy, but they used it in a sense for past life regression. And the hypnotherapy that you use, can you talk a little bit more about the specific hypnotherapy that you're using for your clients? Sure. Well, I, I mean, I am trained in regression work, but I don't believe it's necessary for my particular line of work. You know, what I love about the fact that hypnosis, when the days when I used to, I mean, many years ago, I've been a hypnotherapist for 24 years, it was a little bit hocus pocus, but now there's a real science behind it. And a lot of neuroscientists now have confirmed that, you know, hypnosis is a great way to move forward. So I kind of call myself a progressive therapist because I'm about training the brain to work with the principle of neuroplasticity, that the brain can change and can evolve. And that the, the, the neural pathway of the history of where we are with our drinking. So for example, you've got a history of drinking in unhelpful ways. It doesn't mean it's the truth. It's become a habit. So I'm very much about getting the neural pathways to work towards your present and future and create different coping strategies. So regression has its place. But sometimes it can be traumatic. Sometimes it can be the wrong thing comes up and it can also be the right thing. But it's about, I'm very much a firm, about, firm believer, it's time to move on. Right. And it's interesting, you were mentioning about neuroplasticity and that's one of my favorite topics to discuss. And I, it's, it's interesting to discuss because I would say that a few years ago, maybe even less than that, I was an avid consumer of alcohol. And I was more of a binge drinker. It wasn't something like I would drink one or two drinks a night. I would literally, it'd be the weekend thing where it was a thing to do to go out with friends and to go out and have a few drinks. And I wouldn't really say it's a few drinks. I would say it was a, a lot of drinks, but that's what I was used to. And that, that kind of, that behavior stemmed from college. It's interesting that I actually, in the last year and a half, have been involved with some psychedelic work. And psychedelics, specifically psilocybin, has shown to enhance neuroplasticity. And as a result, what happens to me is that I really don't have any urge to consume alcohol at all. And in fact, it makes me nauseous whenever I'm around it or you know, I, I can drink a glass of wine here and there, but if I'm around people who are consuming uh, you know, a, a lot, it, it just it, it doesn't uh, soothe me. And in fact, I actually kind of feel sick when I'm around people and I feel almost like this depressant effect, you know, almost like a contact buzz, you know, because alcohol is a depressant and I feel that depressant effect if I'm not consuming. So it's interesting. And um, so I'm assuming that the hypnosis that you, you, you employ has that effect of neuroplasticity on folks. Absolutely. I mean, I think the thing that people don't understand is, you know, when you say a good example of college life is, you know, you go to college and it's okay to be a binge drinker and it's okay to be a, a you know, party person. And then you get into the twenties and thirties and you kind of want to be a bit more serious about your professional life, maybe settle down and get married, whatever. And you get into your forties and fifties and a lot of people are thinking, you know what, I still haven't kind of sorted this one out. I thought when I got to my 50s that my life would be really well sorted. And it's just like, it, it's just not how life is. Uh, well, for most people, I think we were always ever evolving. So I always say to people, you know, it doesn't matter your history of drinking. And, you know, when you're saying about alcohol being a depressant, that's correct. But a lot of people, you know, we've got the fear-based part of the brain, which is the amygdala. A lot of people 
use alcohol to suppress the amygdala and they don't realize that. So I'm saying is what we need to do is train the brain to actually tune out of the amygdala before you drink. Because we use, you know, it's just like a, an, an, a nanosecond. It's like, oh, I'm having a stressful day at work or, you know, kids are driving me mad or whatever it is. And the brain works on habit. So in a nanosecond, your brain says, well, the last time you felt this, you had a drink, whether it was a beer or wine or a gin and tonic. And before you know it, the brain say, well, that's what we do. You know, and it could be, you know, I'm not saying people would necessarily drink at nine in the morning, but that anxiety is there. And it's that little stirring through the day that keeps going. And I'm saying, if you nip that stirring in the bud before it kind of builds this big, big momentum, then there isn't going to be that frenzy to drink as much. And that's really what I'm about is working with the neural pathway so that we go to the prefrontal cortex, which is here, which we know in, in the history of our lives, that, you know, we, we, this was often criticized as being the third eye. But in actual fact, you know, when we study the brain in hypnosis, when we study the brain in meditation, which is the same thing, we can see that we're in this really calm space and this part of the brain lights up. So that's really what I'm about is, you know, let's stop the, 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 the craziness of, you know, am I worried about my drinking? Do I need to do this or abstain? Some people will need to abstain, but there's a big group of people out there who don't need to. It's an emotional conditioning that's just being perfected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm about training the brain to re-perfect. A, a, a coping strategy of realizing that life, how we think about it, if we keep running away to drink because of it, we don't become ourselves as whole people. I mean, we feel that we're whole or we feel guilty about it. What I'm saying is it's okay to drink, but drink from a different space and then start to see your self-esteem improve, your social anxiety reduce. Because a lot of people drink because they're anxious, you know, when they're shy and they go to the bar and think, oh, you know, everyone thinks I'm an idiot until I drink and I'm more relaxed. And you know, all these things are very common reasons why people drink. Right. And again, that's, that's the amygdala talking when they're, you know, going to a bar or a social engagement. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious and antsy and the alcohol has helped me before in situations like this. So it actually propels that behavior when they, when they get into situations like that. So when you were saying about the alcohol, we should start utilizing our prefrontal cortex. Our prefrontal cortex is more of our executive functioning. So how do you utilize that and retrain the person to use that aspect of their brain when it involves drinking. Yeah, great. Well, I, I use a, a better analogy in terms of um, a person who, you know, from, from the psychology I'm trained in, which is a union-based theory. And that is that we're all made up of many parts or sub-personalities. And there's one particular personality trait that I call the inner critic. And the inner critic, I spent some a lovely time I used to live in the UK in London for 22 years and I had two clinics in London um, before we moved to Australia three years ago. And I had the privilege of being in a very big city where there were lots of people on tap to, to work with. And one of them was a scientist called David Hamilton. He's a very well-known scientist who, who studied oxytocin. And we ran a, a change your thinking, change your life day. And he wrote the brain model of, of the different parts of the brain when we were in, we're in you know, scare mode versus calm mode. And then I went on to talk about the inner critic. And he said, Georgia, the amygdala is the inner critic. Oh my goodness, there's a kind of another way of talking about it. And the inner critic is the personality trait that we all have. It's a, it's, they call it the reptilian part of the brain, which I'm sure you're familiar with. 
And when we did live in caves and there were bears around the corner, it might have been you know, helpful. But now it plays games with us and we need it, but it's overused in society now. And the inner critic is the part that says you drink too much. You know what's wrong with you. You should lose a bit of weight or you don't enough money. Um, everybody's smarter than you. It's a very critical part of the brain. And if we believe it, we will be scared. And all of those stress chemicals, cortisol and adrenaline pump through the body and the body says, I can't cope. What do we do? And what we know about alcohol is it shuts down the inner critic. It waves at goodbye. So people aren't, they're not getting hooked into the alcohol. They're getting hooked into the feelings. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, well, you know, the inner critic can't read other people's minds. And the good news is it can't see into your future. It just kind of plays these games about if you don't drink tonight, you won't sleep because another reason why people drink is to shut down the inner critic, actually. They're not, their busy brain syndrome is a negative thinking that plays over in their head. So when we drink alcohol, we're actually having some space from that inner critic. So I say to people, your inner critic is giving you a really, I mean, there are other personality traits that drive people to drink as well, but this is the main catalyst. And when people realize that the inner critic is just one voice, it's like, oh my goodness, I don't have to think like this. Because a lot of people think this is all of them thinking this. But the good news is, from my principle, from where I've worked, and I haven't been proven wrong with this theory, we have a negative part of our brain, but we also have a very positive part of our brain too. But when you train the brain to be in that part of the brain, which I call the intuitive, the healthy part, the charismatic part that can go into the bar and says, you know, I can drink, but I don't need to drink to take the edge off. That's, a, that's the person I want to become alive. That's the person that is really who we are authentically. So my work is really about saying, you know, if you love your beautiful um, Chardonnay or your Merlot, that's completely fine. Be a wine connoisseur if you want to be, or enjoy your, you know, um, your, your favorite micro beer, brewery place, whatever. It's just that we've forgotten that who we are before we drink is a wonderful person. So I'm about that um, so that we can drink. Yes, of course, sometimes when people say, you know, if you, if you win the lottery tonight or, you know, you're, you're on a holiday and you might drink more than you plan. But I'm talking about the regular habitual drinking that causes people the grief. And so it's really about reframing the person's intent or perspective or association with alcohol, right? I mean, it's, so it's, it's retraining that mindset. It's like you're not using it as a crutch. You know, it, you know, you don't need the alcohol as a crutch. So it's, it's substituting that for something else. Am I, is that correct or is it a little different? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an anxiety. It's a self-esteem thing. It's a stress management tool. And a lot of people who do the seven-day program, they, you know, they don't necessarily have very low self-esteem. Some do have, have low self-esteem. So it's just become a habit. And what's important is to know that when we're in that space, you know, we tend to forget that you know, we use these tools as emotional crutches, but ultimately it creates more low self-esteem and more anxiety because the more you drink to alleviate the inner critic, it becomes a habit. And then, you know, I call it the, the alcohol police. It may be a, a wife or a husband or a child can be the trigger to maybe realize that, you know, the alcohol's creeping up because we become tolerant to alcohol. So that first glass that was emotionally medicinal, then 
we need two and we need three. And then we worry that we're drinking too much. And then somebody may comment that we drink too much. And then the inner critic says, see, they're watching you. They think there's something wrong with you. You drink too much. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'm saying is let's stop that self-fulfilling prophecy. Let's get in there now and get your mind into a better space about your alcohol. Mm-hmm. And how do clients find you? It's an interesting approach to the utilization of alcohol. It's not necessarily eliminating alcohol or its ill toward effects. It's really developing a different but better relationship and a healthy relationship with alcohol. So are people referred to you, you know, from other primary care physicians, doctors, or therapists, or how do they find you? Well, it is a very secret therapy in the, in the terms of it's a very private it's taboo. And a lot of people feel shamed and embarrassed. I mean, I've had the you know, privilege of some journalists having come to see me and said, Georgia, I need to talk about this. So that's been a great way forward. But I do appreciate that not everybody, you know, having me here is great because people are secretly worried. I mean, one in six Americans binge drink. That's a big you know, statistic. And I'm not talking about on the park bench. I'm talking about at home because a lot of this drinking is done in the home. And we're talking about people who are fully functioning, normal people, moms, dads, corporates. um, You know, a lot of my client base in London were lawyers, accountants, people in finance, you know, people in the media, homemakers. Another big statistic is that people in the medical profession, nursing staff, people who are in the coalface of life, you know, big drinkers. So it's really something that I felt I wanted to, I wanted to, because, you know, I'm Australian, I lived in Britain for a long time. You know, we're Aussies and Brits are big drinkers. And I wanted to kind of stop the fear mongering because the fear mongering ironically makes people drink more. And that isn't what I wanted to do. I, I, I just, I got so worried about people being shamed. So for me, it's just been word of mouth really. And obviously, you know, doing Facebook and Google and fortunately, you know, being in the media a bit as well, people can see TV interviews because I am the opposite. And I'm not saying, I know there's a very big sober movement out there at the moment and I'm not anti that at all, but I think majority of people would like another option. And it's kind of, I call it the middle ground of drinking, you know, and I think that we need to be able to offer people another way rather than feeling that because a lot of people... I wanted to share with you another personality. It was actually two more personality traits that support the inner critic about drinking. And the first one is the perfectionist. And the perfectionist is the all or nothing drinker. That's you know, they <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of figure that out, not because I'm a psychic, but I just kind of know with people's drinking styles um, what happens. And, and a lot of, you know, perfectionists in the end tend to just quit drinking because it's just too hard. I mean, you had a really good way of, changing that neuroplasticity which is fantastic which are which was more available to people um but i think it's something that perfectionists um are high achievers they go getters you know you know a great example would be um a client who is vigilant with the eating and they don't drink all all week go to the gym every morning pump the iron and then on a friday night they kind of cane it you know they've got their couple of beers and you know, a couple of bottles of wine and then hung over all weekend and feel so bad about themselves that they go back to abstaining again for the week. And, and I think that oh, it could be they decide to quit for six months and then they go back to it. And so their relationship with alcohol is very fraught. 
with high levels of anxiety because they don't trust themselves with alcohol. But the irony is that when they do drink, because they're drinking the perfectionist away, they don't care. They go, oh, well, I'll just kind of lie on the couch and I will. But the fact is that perfectionists have a problem with being in the moment and alcohol makes them be in the moment because the increase of dopamine from the alcohol, the shutdown of the inner critic and not trying to be perfect, they have this reprieve from this perfect life. Um, so, you know, perfectionists are wonderful people because they are you know, high achievers but sometimes it gets too much. And so they use alcohol as their way to retreat from that perfect life. So a lot of people resonate with the perfectionist because um, they get, but the problem is they drink quickly. So because they're actually anxious and they're worried they're going to screw up the drinking thing. And ultimately they tend to do that. You know, they're in the doghouse with their partner or, <laughs> or their children or, you know, and they forget um, they have memory loss and also what is interesting with the perfectionist drinker, because they drink so quickly, um, they, they drink a lot, um, they can get drunk very quickly, and the bell doesn't ring. So they can drink to oblivion. So that is why they just don't trust themselves and they end up just having to quit a lot of the time. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in the categories of oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. We also were able to achieve number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't gotten your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksandmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. That's interesting. So that, that basically describes me to a T. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 100%. That, that's me. But I, I, I'm, unfortunately for me that I've gotten out of that because I've just realized that it's just not for me anymore. Um, I, I have gone a little bit on the other extreme where I have this negative behavior or negative like emotional attachment to alcohol. It's not where I, I just don't even want to be around it. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering if that's because I just went over on the other side, or overcorrected myself in essence. Um, but that's really interesting. Um, and you were mentioning there was a second personality type yeah, the other one is the pleaser, which is um, the nurturer, the carer. Uh, and you can have a bit of both. You can be like some people I find when I run my seminars and there's people sitting in the room all giggling um, and they say, oh, gosh, I, I thought I was a perfectionist, but now I think of a pleaser. I said, well, you can be both. You could be professionally a really driven person, but in your home life, you know, it could be a, a parent situation where you are a very much the nurturer. But the pleaser, unlike the perfectionist, they are regular drinkers. They tend not to have alcohol-free days, whether, where a perfectionist is very good at alcohol-free days because they couldn't drink like that all the time. Then they would have a problem. Um, but pleasers, they know when the bell rings, but they tend to drink to please others. And because they spent all day looking after other people or feeling that they are needed everywhere else, 
they use the alcohol time to shut down from the world, to have, I call it, solo parties, um, often put the kids to bed or feel like, you know, it's my time for me. But the problem with the, the pleaser personality trait, because they have very low self-esteem, they would tend to communicate through alcohol. They're not very good at confrontational conversations. And I often say to people, if you're in a challenging relationship or you feel that you can't express yourself until you drink, that's because your inner critic is there. So we need to train the brain to tune out of the inner critic so you can communicate with a cup of coffee in your hand. Because often people will say, oh, it's just a drink talking. But in actual fact, it's an important conversation to have. Uh, and pleasers need to learn. Actually, also pleasers can attract uh, bullies. A lot of people with narcissistic personality disorder because pleasers always think what's wrong with me. They're used to being judged. They're used to being criticized. But they can be sometimes a bit of a martyr as well, thinking, you know, I'm saving the world. But ultimately, you know, they need to stand back and take some ownership. Um, and alcohol can be a very tricky situation for pleasers because they will tend to get the bar bill when they don't actually have any money. And the person who actually has the money is, you know, is saying you get the bill. Um, they tend to be in um, compromised relationships and friendships. So part of the program, the digital program, the, the seven days to drink less, is to train people to honor that, you know, you don't have to be perfect in your life to be successful. Um, it's about being intuitive. And when we're intuitive, you know, we don't need to please everybody all the time. We know when we should really be saying no. We know when to have our boundaries. We know when it's time to retreat without alcohol, to take that time. And that's why the hypnosis is really important with the recording on the program with the recordings, because it's not just about drinking less. It's about utilizing that time. I mean, the Dalai Lama says if everybody meditated for 25 minutes a day, the world would be a better place. And I really believe that we don't spend enough time with ourselves. We're busy you know, being critical of ourselves. We're busy trying to be perfect. We're busy trying to look after the world. But we have, to, we have to, in there somewhere, look after ourselves. And when we do look after ourselves, rather than using alcohol as the method to look after ourselves, then the drinking is not such an issue for people. And that's really what I'm about is, you, know, you talked about, you said reframing things. And I think that's really important to note is, we only think this way because it's become familiar. And that's obviously where hypnosis steps in. You know, we only think this way because it's what we know, but it's not the truth. We think it's who we are, but actually it's not who we really are. Right. And it's interesting. It's really not necessarily from what I'm understanding with this conversation is that it's not necessarily a, a having a different relationship with alcohol. I mean, that's part of it, but really it's about personal growth and self-development that's all encompassing within the seven-day program because you've just hit on a lot of things that I think is really prevalent in what society is facing. I mean, not only society, but the entire world is facing currently with this COVID chaos. A lot of people are forced to really look inward. And I feel that a lot of people have turned to alcohol as a means of coping. And I see it all the time on social media. You know, I actually had a friend of mine who is very popular on social media. And he posted this post saying that everyone post your what you're drinking right now. And I don't know, it was 730 or eight o'clock on a Friday night. And there was like 
hundreds of posts with people actually, you know, sharing a picture of themselves with an alcoholic beverage in their hand. And, and that kind of a, was a big, you know, uh, a wow moment for me. And it made me realize that a lot of people are, are just faced with just dealing with their inner fears and anxieties. And instead of dealing with it, they're escaping it using alcohol. Mm. And we're in a very unusual, never experienced before situation. And I think that a lot of people use it as a good excuse. I don't have to get up in the morning. I don't have to drive. No one's going to see me. And people are kind of seeing it as their party moment in a way. And I, look, I'm, I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't drink, as you well know. But I think that, you know, we need to understand that this is an unusual time. And, you know, we do know that alcohol, excessive alcohol suppresses the immune system, you know, Whereas, you know, they say moderate drinking can actually support it. And that's because, you know, it, it does relax people. You, people do, do have a bit of time out. It can, you know, whatever. But I think the most important thing is that, that, you know, alcohol sales have gone through the roof. In fact, a lot of here in Australia, the local wine shop man was saying the other day that the sales were, have exceeded Christmas time. I mean, this is extraordinary. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, it's not about not drinking. It's, it's just the fact that, you know, this is a really good time while we are in this space to take stock and think, well, what can I do for something good for myself? What can I do? I've got this extra time at home, um, you know, put on, you know, some positive music, start to motivate and inspire in other ways rather than drinking too much. Um, and I think a lot of people as well aren't necessarily always drinking about stress and what's going on. They're drinking because they're bored. That's and we true. know yeah. that the inner critic, you know, when we're bored, we negatively think. So a lot of people don't realize that, that they're actually drinking to cut out that inner critic. And when we cut out the inner critic by the booze, then we think fun things and we start writing books and we start looking at inspiring things on the internet and we start to have these great conversations. And, and I always say to people, if you drink because you're bored, then your mind will look at alcohol as a form of having fun. And that is a tricky one to get into. So I say to people, before you have that first trick, my top tip is to get some motivation, inspirational things into your head. Watch that funny movie. Have a chat with a friend who makes you laugh. Start to get the positive parts of the brain stimulated so that you don't need the alcohol to get into that state. It's almost like have a game plan, you know, to prevent your, your brain from becoming idle and getting to that boredom state. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I know a lot of people are talking about it. So, I, you know, forgive me if I'm repeating myself here. But, you know, this is a time for reflection. It's time to think about things. What can we do? How can we make things better? And when you're in a better space emotionally, uh, when you feel better about yourself, then everything's just that easy to deal with. So I think the thing about the alcohol is that if we're drinking as a way to be motivated or to be inspired, you know, if you start to use it on a regular basis, then you don't, you forget that we have that naturally. You know, I was walking on the beach yesterday with my kids and I'm just talking about the fact that we've seen pelicans on the beach for the first time. I mean, it's just crazy. Mm. I'm beautiful, beautiful. Um, I was thinking, wow. And I was just in this such an inspired zone. You know, I, I'd had an alcohol-free night the night before. And for me, alcohol-free days and nights are just, they're great gifts to me. I, I enjoy drinking, but, you know, I think we need to start to bring in that beautifulness. And, you know, obviously having alcohol-free days, 
there's such clarity and there's such more intuition and 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 I think that this is what we need to start to ignite within our minds is that that you know we have an opportunity here to actually sit and be authentic to ourselves and start to be more intuitive and alcohol suppresses that intuition that's the problem that's a very good point in 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 this time that we're facing are you seeing a lot more people trying to contact you for appointments well i don't see that many clients now um i i I do but i don't obviously my program is what people tend to go and buy or normally i'll be running to london running a seminar a couple of times a year and i run them around australia so a bit of both some people are just saying georgia I really need to drink at the moment. That's fine. So at the moment, things are on the quiet side. But when things change, when people go back to normality, that is when it all starts. It's always like I always say to people, um, you know, dry January, people tend to abstain after Christmas. That's a quiet month to me. But February hits, bang. It's like, you know, it's a very popular month. Um, and I think that and post-summer as well, in September as well, they're very busy months. But what I'm saying is, you know, rather than wait till that moment, do it now while we're home, while we're in this great space to start to build that sober self-esteem and that sense of who you are before you drink so that you don't need to drink to become who you think you should be because that person is really there in a sober life. That's a very good point too. And you were saying um, earlier, actually I was saying when I was mentioning your bio, that 95% of the workshop participants reported a moderate to significant reduction in their alcohol intake. That is a huge high success rate. There's not a whole lot of things that, you know, that people can actually do that has a 95% success rate. So that's, that's fantastic. And this is not a, where they're doing one-on-one sessions with you or, or it's just, it's a program that you've created. Yeah, I mean, the seminars are very effective because we're there all day and basically they're in hypnosis most of the afternoon. There's a lot of theory in the morning, but the seven-day program is the same thing. You know, it's about what, you know, you know, I think talking therapies are really important and they have their place, but a lot of people, by the time they come to see me or they want to do the program, they're really sick of their drinking. They want to make a quick change. And what, you know, a lot of people may be in fear of is hypnosis, but it is such a powerful, effective, quick tool to cut to the chase, really, of the emotional part of the brain. And as I said at the beginning, you know, I'm not about, I'm not, you know, anti-understanding why people drink, but most of the time it's just a very boring reason. It's just they got themselves into a habit. Maybe they um, had a negative time in their lives. We've all had trauma in our lives. And that, you know, we use alcohol, we started to use alcohol as that emotional crutch. It's not complicated. It's just what people do. So I'm saying, you know, let's cut to the chase. We don't need to know why. It's about how to move on. So that's really much my my, my principle about that. And hypnosis is such a great tool because the brain can change. And training the brain to be here rather than here, the fear-based part of the brain, the amygdala, it doesn't take long. In 25 minutes, you can be changing that dynamic. I mean, there are people, um, I had an email from, a monk who said, Georgia, you know, I was drinking a bottle of whiskey a night. I found your seven day program online. And he said, you know, I couldn't get up for morning meditation in the morning. He said, now I'm drinking half a bottle of whiskey. And I'm like, well, that's, that was his goal. And he achieved that. So I'm not about how much you should drink. I'm about why you drink. So a lot of people said to me, you know, I'm, I'm a, 
a bottle and a half a night, which I think is too much. But, you know, getting it down to three quarters of a bottle, then there's a sense of self-worth, then there's a sense of achievement. And then that person, the goal is then to start to bring in alcohol-free days. So I'm about, not about how much you drink, I'm about getting it down to about half. And when you get it down to about half, you will see a difference psychologically, physically, um, uh, less anxiety. These are all of the things that I cover on the program. And when they have this realization, when they've gotten to that point where they've reduced their drinking by half, it's almost like it's a self-perpetual process. They see the benefits in their behavior, I mean, of, of their alcohol consumption dwindle. And as a result, they're feeling positivity in the sense that they're less anxious, their weight may have dropped, you know, and other positive aspects. So that actually kind of feeds into the let's drink less scenario. Yeah, I think it's a domino effect, you know, when, and, but the other thing that's really important to note is the brain works on, on memory, as I said before. So the hypnosis part of the program is creating new references so that the mind uses those references. And in hypnosis, we know that the brain thinks we're really there. And a really good analogy of this is, you know, if someone came to see me with a fear of flying within an hour, they can get on a plane, you know, the brain works that quickly. And I'm not suggesting, you know, there are people who say to me, Georgia, you know, come from an abusive background and I used, I used alcohol in bad ways. You know, they may need to have long, you know, like a longer term plan or they may need to abstain. But most people just use alcohol as an emotional crutch. Um, and, and I'm saying those people, which is a very large audience, know they drink too much, but they just don't know how to drink less. And I'm saying, you know, if your conscious mind says, right, today I'm going to have an alcohol-free day, and then something happens in your day that stirs a sense of vulnerability, your brain will demand the alcohol. And then that person's sense of lack of willpower kicks in. And I'm saying there is no such thing as willpower. If your conscious mind has a, has a plan, but your unconscious mind has a different plan, your unconscious mind will win the argument. So I'm saying let's get to the part of the brain that actually thinks alcohol is a really good fix for your emotional thinking. Um, let's go to the part of the brain that knows how to change. And in hypnosis, it's been proven that we become more intuitive. We become able to explore and exercise other ways of thinking um, that the conscious world just has no ability to do. So it's not a lazy method. It's just a very effective method. I think a lot of people say to me, Georgia, I feel a bit bad. It's not been that difficult and I've been struggling for such a long time. But underpinning that is a strong inner critic. But the inner critic is part of the emotional brain. And when you train your mind to not hear that inner critic, to not feel it, and to bring in what I call that authentic self, then life's just easier. So when people leave the seminar or do the online program, you know, the goal is that spending this time with yourself and changing your inner dialogue, looking after you in, in healthier ways. When you come out of the hypnosis, your brain thinks that you've already experienced those moments. So it will enact upon them. And that's what I love about the work that I do. It's, it's just very positive and it's very, uh, it's just refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually very rewarding. I, I would imagine with your, you also wrote a, a book is the book part of this program or, or are they mutually exclusive? Um, no, I had a publisher, a publisher that approached me um, just over a year ago 
and said, Georgia, this program needs to be a book. And I'm like, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, okay. But I mean, I have written quite a few books, but I, I kind of, I wrote a book actually many years ago called The Drinkless Mind um, in the day when it was uncool to self-publish um, because nobody would listen to me. And I said, there's, there's a market here. So I printed the book and within a few months, a journalist who had come to see me, I sent her a copy and um, I was in like the biggest newspaper in Britain and the book sold out and she's like, wow. I'm like, yeah, this is because people want this approach. They don't want to abstain. So then that was a long time ago and then the publishing house said to me, well, we think there's a book in this. So, so I wrote um, Drink Less in Seven Days uh, and it's available on Amazon. And the book itself is a program. And then in the book, there are links to lo- to download the digital recording, which is the hypnosis I bit, see. obviously. Yeah. So the program, the book or the digital program, it, you know, either way is great. But the most important thing I say to people, you know, you can read as many books as you want, but the hypnosis is where the changes take place. Right. And for the listeners, Obviously, you just mentioned that your book is found on Amazon. Where can they find your seven-day digital programming? On my website, which is georgiafoster.com, G-E-O-R-G-I-A, Foster, is in the beer.com. That's fantastic. Thank you. And I guess for our listeners, I, I really would encourage people to do a little research and, and maybe going on the website and finding more information about, about uh, Georgia Foster. and. Thank you so much, Georgia, for being on the show. It was really a pleasure having you. And I think in these times that we're facing, it's really great to see that something like this can be utilized to change our habits and to change our behavior and to allow us to grow personally and in in some cases more spiritually. I couldn't agree anymore. Well, thank you so much for having me.